broken the curse of our sin. You are our king. In your name we pray. Amen. this morning to hear from a, a guest speaker. A guest, but he's really not a guest. This is really home um, for, for Pastor Scott. Back in 1988, Pastor Scott and Christy came to First Baptist Benicia. That was before I was even born. Before I was born. They were called here uh, in 1988. Pastor Scott served as youth pastor and then in 92 started as, as lead pastor and served here until uh, just a few years ago, nearly 30 years of, of ministry, pouring their hearts out uh, in, in this place and for the city of Benicia. And so uh, we get to hear from Pastor Scott, bring the word here in just a moment. I just want to say, again, just how grateful I am and how grateful Amber and I am for Scott and Christy, their just godliness, their love, their humility, their leadership over the years, so much of what we enjoy in this place is because of their faithfulness and service and ministry. And so um, it's a real treat to get to invite Scott back up to come bring the word for us. Would you welcome Pastor Scott? Thanks, brother. Well, so I have to tell the truth. You know, Scott Henning is a sinner redeemed only by God's grace. Nothing more. And that's why and that's the only reason I have a reason to be here today, and that's the only credential I can bring today. All glory to God. But I'm also a man under authority. Jesus is my king. And so today as I come to you, I come that way. However, in addition to God's amazing grace in my life, God has used people throughout my life. And, and if I were to give you the list and the whole list, I, I put a list together there, but, um, but it, it's too long um, for you to even, for even be on one page. But from my grandparents to my wife, to professors in between, to my preschool children's church leader, who was the first one to pronounce on me, God's calling you to be a pastor when I was four and didn't know it yet. People have spoken into my life, and it was their model and their resurrection living that showed me how to live. In addition to that, there have been people throughout my whole life who have, if, if I were speaking in the words of athletics or music or something, were my personal coach. They were the people to whom I confessed my sins. And since 1976, there has always been a person like that in my life to this day. And there is a person in my life to this day who is my personal coach to whom I confess my sins. Because I want to press on to reach the goal. And the flesh in me is strong. There are some big bad weeds that keep growing. And I have to keep weeding them up. Um, so then finally, there are mentors. And I, whenever I speak, you know, there would be a line of footnotes if I footnoted everybody I referenced as I speak to you today. So you just need to know that my life has been blessed and I stand on the shoulders of so many other people as I speak to you today. Well, Pastor Matt told me when he called me, he said you guys were in the book of Acts. How fun is that? And he said you were to chapter 4 and so I read chapter 4 and it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't get past the first two verses. 
you know, because they were packed already. So we're only going to get to verses 1 and 2 and 13 today. He gets to, to do the real work of Acts chapter 4. But I am sure that as you've been studying through it, you already were laid down that the thesis of, of the book of Acts is, is found in the first chapter, verse 8. And you shall be my witnesses. Can you say it with me? And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Benicia, in Samaria, Vallejo, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And, and so um, that is the thesis, and, and the rest of the book unfolds. And so um, we are to the unfolding of that in chapter 4 today. I want to read the scripture this morning. It's from Acts chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2 and verse 13. Before I do, would you take a big deep breath or two? They always say it helps your frontal brain think better if you get oxygen to it. And in this moment, as we respond to God's word, we want everything working good. Hear the word of God. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So this morning, I would like to talk to us about practicing resurrection living. What does it look like to practice that? You know, as a pastor, I'm not an academic. My job is to encourage you to live the life. That's why we're here. And so in this passage, that, that, those, those words that stuck out to me initially, I don't know which words stuck out to you, but the ones that stuck out to me initially were these, unschooled, ordinary, teaching others. Unschooled ordinary. I don't know how you feel about your life. None of us are unschooled. We've grown up in a whole different place. However, the apostles weren't really unschooled either, even though they were ordinary men, just fishermen. They had gone to synagogue school since their childhood. And though they might not have read Hebrew, they had memorized Hebrew. Six chapters of it they had put to memory. And so in that way, they were, they were very much trained in what God had wanted for their life and what God wanted for his people. But that day, they were met by a, another group of people. You see, last week in Acts chapter 3, we were told that Peter and John had gone, it was Saturday, and they were going to temple. And on their way to temple, what happened? They met a man who was lame, and so they healed him. And wow, that drew a crowd. And they find themselves now in Solomon's colonnade. It's this big covered porch on the east side of the temple, huge porch. And there's this crowd of people listening to them, and Peter is telling them, he's giving witness to what happened in the healing of the man that Jesus had risen from the dead. Well, they're on the temple grounds, and they're 
ordinary men. Now, what that meant for the Sadducees, you remember the Jewish, you know, political, religious groups? There's the Pharisees. They were one group. There the Sadducees were another group, the Zealots. And the Zealots were so wild and crazy, people kind of held them off. But there were three main groups in leadership, or at least trying to have influence in Israel at the time. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. In fact, they no longer believed at that point that a physical Messiah was coming. They thought there would just be a good age when King David's kingdom, when Israel would be strong again. You know, they would be pursuing life, liberty, and happiness, right? Like every people of nations want to dream. So they get wind of what's going on on the east side of the temple. But not only they, also the captain of the guard. You see, the temple had its own security. We're getting used to that in our world now. Everywhere you go, there's security guards. They had security guards in the temple. And the captain of security got wind of something going on in the colonnade. And so the captain comes. This captain was second to the chief priest, second, second in leadership in all of Israel's community activities. So the Sadducees, the priests, and the captain guard now interrupt Peter. And, and, and instantly you feel the tension of the moment. You can see it. What does it say about them? They were greatly disturbed. That's another way of saying angry. Why? Two reasons why. One, unschooled, ordinary men were teaching. You see, though they didn't have a formal education system, you know, where you got a BA and then you got a master's degree and then you got a PhD and you had to have a PhD to teach at the university, they did have a system. And that was that you were taught by a recognized rabbi to be a teacher, to be another rabbi. Well, guess what? Peter and John were fishermen. And Jesus wasn't a recognized rabbi. So they had no place in their system to be teaching in the temple. The Sadducees had their agenda. They didn't believe in the resurrection. But in addition to that, the leadership had an agenda. We don't want unschooled men teaching our people. Having said all of that, um, verse 13 brings us into a new understanding of all this. What did, what, did the, what did Luke picks up on it? What did the Sadducees see? They saw unschooled, ordinary men teaching the people, but then we, who had been with Jesus. Oh, you see, that's the question of the morning. The question of the morning was, what qualified them to teach wasn't that they had somehow fit into the system, the human system. What qualified them that day is that they had simply been with Jesus. I think sometimes we are intimidated by the experts. I think the experts that day 
were intentionally intimidating Peter and John. And I think sometimes whether they mean to or not, we are intimidated by that. And we are so available to all the experts. Man, experts, you know, on the internet and social media, you can follow anybody's podcast these days. And most of them are way better speakers than I am. And so it's easy then for us who are ordinary Christians to be intimidated into thinking that being with Jesus isn't enough. Ah. But the thing that the Sadducees and the priests and the chief uh, guard saw that day, not only was unschooled ordinary men, but the amazing thing, the thing that amazed them is that they had been with Jesus. Intimidation. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton was a was a buddy of C.S. Lewis, but he was probably 20 years older than C.S. Actually, I think he was like 23 years older than C.S. Lewis. G.K. Chesterton wrote this quote. He said, it wasn't long ago that men sang around a table in chorus. Now one sings alone on a microphone for the absurd reason that he can sing better. I think that there are times experts stop us from singing but you have been with Jesus, so don't quit singing. Have you been with Jesus? Have I been with Jesus? What did it look like for the Peter and John? Remember, remember the story? All you have to do is read the Gospels and begin to use your imagination of what it was like to have lived day in and day out for three years with Jesus. They knew his character. They, they had come to understand his personality. They had learned what was important to him, what he valued, what his priorities were. They had seen him in relationships with people who liked him and people who didn't like him. They had watched him make decisions. They had been with Jesus. Have I been with Jesus? Have you been with Jesus? What does it look like for us? Can we stop for a minute and imagine? Can we, can we take the role of disciples to 2023 when Jesus isn't physically present with us, but his Holy Spirit is and his word is? What might it look like? You know, one of the ways Christy continues to help me in my discipleship is that we have a plan for reading the scriptures every day. And every day we read the Bible. That's being with Jesus for me. Can I throw a challenge out to you if you've never done this? Maybe get an old, you know, spiral notebook or just a piece of paper be fine, and open to the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest one of all, 16 chapters. In 20 minutes, you could have it read. Maybe 22. Anyway, and as you read through, just look at Jesus. Just observe him, would you? Look at his character. Look at what he does when he's in relationship with us. Just, just look at Jesus and observe him and be with him. Because as we are with people, we tend to become like them. 
Moms and dads, isn't that what you tell your kids all the time? Pick your friends wisely because you hang, who you hang out with influences you. Well, guess what? If we hang out with Jesus, he's going to influence us. And the more you hang out with him through the scriptures, and as you pray, and as you, you read the scriptures, you say, Lord, you know what? I'm an impatient man. That's one of the conversations I have with the Lord a lot, because for whatever reason, I was born that way. Lord, I want to be like you as I see you interact with other people, and I see your patience with them, except when you went to the temple that day. But that's an, ex you know, there's a time to be angry. I want to be like you. You see, in, in, in our lives, the spiritual discipline of reading the Bible in prayer is becoming, is, is learning to know Jesus, but then confessing where you aren't like him yet, where you want to be like him, recognizing in your life those growth moments, those growth points, those opportunities before you still because I haven't finished the race yet, but I press on. I remember years ago now being with Christy's mom one time, and she said, you know, I've been going to Sunday school and church and Bible study for 40 years. It's time for me to start giving out. You see, part of the discipline of being with Jesus and being like Jesus is we understood that every day Jesus took time aside to be with the Father. He went away alone to be with the Father. But he didn't stay there all day. He went back into the world taking the Father with him. And so you and I, spending time every day with Jesus, we become like him, but then it's so we take him back into the world with us wherever we go. I don't know what your week's been like, what it looked like you to be with Jesus. So can I share mine? And I'm not going to, I hope, you know, you don't take this as me somehow bragging. I just want you to see what it looks like in the life of this ordinary, broken disciple at what following Jesus looks like. Okay, so it, so it started uh, a week and a half ago when my old Toyota pickup truck got a blowout on the I-5 at 65. And so I had to go to the tire store. So I went to the tire store and they put on new tires, but they forgot to put one of the good tires on my spare because I'd just thrown that in the back, right? So I had to go back in with my tire to the manager and say, oh, could you put one of the new tires or one of the good tires on my spare? So he got this younger man to put it on and he said, oh, you can just wait in the shop, just stand aside, you know, they don't, usually don't like that, but they let me. And so I watched the younger man put it on. And when the younger man was done, he came up to me and he said, hey, um, by the way, were you the guy that worked at the Red Awning Cafe 10 years ago? I said, yeah, that was me. And he told me his first name, and he said, yeah, well, I was a kid who went there. So I left with my tire, and I got home and thought, hmm. So I called somebody who I thought knew him because I didn't know his last name now, and I didn't have a way to contact him, and I didn't want to go back to work and bother him. He's working, you know? And somebody knew his name, and so I looked him up on Facebook. 
And I sent him a message. Hey, this is the guy from the Red Awning Cafe. Can I buy you lunch? First day, no answer. Second day, no answer. You know, Jesus said, I'll make you fisher of men, right? So Facebook was my fishing pole. <laughs> Friday, I got a message. Yeah, I'll have lunch with you. I can't wait. I get to have lunch with this guy who went to the road. I haven't seen him for 10 years. He's a man now. <laughs> and we don't know each other. You see, I fished because even at the tire shop, Jesus says, go be Jesus there. All right, so then, um, then it was Thursday of that week, and in the morning I was driving someplace, and I usually have traffic radio on. I don't know why, because I'm almost never on the freeway, so don't have to worry about the congestion, but I still have it anyway. I can tell you every traffic report you want. They're so boring, they put me to sleep, you know? But anyway, so I'm listening to traffic radio, and there's an announcement. You know, there's lots of announcements. Everybody wants you to buy everything, right? And there's this announcement. It goes like this. If you have a wheelbarrow, a shovel, and a power washer, I have all three of those, go to Pajaro. Why? Why would I go to Pajaro? Well, because that's where months ago now, the levee broke, and the field workers who live there already in poverty, their, their trailer homes flooded. So I hear it. I get to do about my business. Then later that afternoon, I have to go visit my Casa kid. So I'm driving to Fairfield, traffic radio on. If you have a wheel, a shovel barrel, and a power washer, go to Pajaro. Oh, goodness. All right. So I get with my Casa kid, and we talk, blah, blah, blah. We'll meet for an hour or two, and I head back home. Guess what? Three times. By the way, if you don't, don't remember, this was a Samuel, Samuel, Samuel story for Scott Henney. And it was like, I didn't have a choice. I got called. You know, I heard the voice of God, and he came over the radio. Do you remember that old song, Turn Your Radio On, the old gospel radio? You don't know that one. Anyway, I didn't have the gospel radio on, but God came over the radio to me and said, go to Pajaro. Guess what? I went there, and I met Danny. And there, there I am. Can you see my outfit? I wore one of those, you know, those, what do you call those things? Yeah, those protective things, those suits, you know. I was glad. They're waterproof. And I was under trailer homes all day in the mud. Ooh, it stunk. <laughs> Loving people for Jesus. Every time people would ask me, it was funny because there was a group of LDS people there, and one of the guys said, hey, we came as a group, but what are you doing here? And I simply, God gave me the answer, I am here because Jesus has loved me so extravagantly, I have to give some of it away. And so I was under Danny's mobile home most of the day, cleaning out debris. And I got to talk with Danny, and Danny said, why are you here? And I said, because Jesus loves me so much. I'm overflowing, and I just wanted to share it. Guess what? I am going back to Payaro Wednesday, because I've got an appointment with Danny. 
because Jesus said, you are fishermen now. Yeah, so then I was preparing my sermon on Wednesday, and if you hadn't picked up, if you don't know me, you know by now that I'm a wiggly kind of guy. And if I had been in school these days, I would have had a line of letters after my name. So when I have to concentrate, you know, if I'm at home, when I was in the church study here, I could never work here. There were too many things. There were too many things to fix in the building, too many things to do. So I have this habit now of getting in my, I also have a little um, Toyota Corolla. And I drive my little Toyota Corolla to uh, one of those parking lots, a strip mall parking lot, you know, where there are no stores that I want to go to. <laughs> and I get in the back seat because my, my mini hangs right on the back of my thing, just perfect, and I put my, and my books are in, I can study. And it's like I'm not distracted in that. Well, so on Wednesday, I'm driving to the place that I know I can go and not be distracted. And I pull in the parking lot. It's busy, you know, strip mall parking lot. You know, again, there's like main roads and there's parking. Right in the main road, there is a guy laying in the middle of the road. Just laying there. And I drive around him, go to my parking place. As I drive by, I see there's a crowd of people on the sidewalk looking at him. So I get out of my car because I have to get out of the driver's seat to get in the back seat to do my studying, and I see the man again. And you know, I say, Lord, I came here not to be distracted. <laughs> but that guy was laying there, so I had to go in with the old EMT and me said, okay, it's your job, buddy. So I go over to the guy, I look at the people and say, what happened? Nobody knows, nobody's talking. They're just all gasping. So I start talking to him, see if he's responding. He doesn't respond to me. So I touch his hand and start rubbing a little bit, and all of a sudden, I can tell he's breathing, so I'm not doing CPR yet, you know? Anyhow, long story short, a half an hour later, I finally get him to get up and go to the sidewalk where he's safe. Oh, I forgot to tell you this part. One of the ladies standing by brings me a coat and says, you put a coat on him, he's got to be cold. It was a chilly morning. Put a coat. After we get back, I give her her coat back, and she hands me her phone with big typing on it that says, I'm deaf. She was a Latin lady, so I tried to speak to her in Spanish. I didn't think she understood my English, but she didn't hear me is the problem, you know? I'm such a dork sometimes. <laughs> anyway, so she I'm deaf. Then I give her her phone back. Then she hands it to me, and this time it says, let's pray. <laughs> so here we are in the strip mall with this crowd around us. She wants to pray. She's deaf. I should have had Christy. Christy knows sign language. I don't. <laughs> so how do you pray with the deaf lady? Well, so she hands me her phone back, and I realize I'm supposed to start typing. If I had been smart, I would have put the voice thing on and, you know, prayed, and I would have seen it. But I wasn't that smart. So it's the shortest prayer I've ever said, because I had to, and I'm not one of those kind of guys, you know. I don't text like this. I text like this, you know. <laughs> All right. What does it look like to be a disciple who... God has called to fish. And those stupid illustrations of my ordinary life, I don't know what the results of any of those conversations will be. But I know that in each one of those moments, Scott Henning said, I'm a man under authority. I have been called, I have been commissioned, I have been commanded to go out and make disciples in whatever my 
Jerusalem is, and whatever my Judea is, and wherever my Samaria is. All right, I think I get carried away. Am I doing okay? <laughs> I better get back to my notes, because we're only halfway through, so I better do a quick on the second half. That was point number one, was unschooled, ordinary people who have been with Jesus. That's you and me. Don't let the experts intimidate you. Keep singing. Keep fishing. Second, what were they proclaiming? They were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, I don't want you to... Well, I think we, when we hear those words, we first think Easter, Jesus rose from the dead, which is true, and what a wonderful celebration, because the resurrection of Jesus is the unmistakable turning point of Christianity. If the resurrection hadn't occurred, you and I would not be here today. All the rest of it could have happened. Christmas could have happened. Golgotha could have happened. If the resurrection hadn't happened, we would not be here today. The resurrection happened. We're here to... So Jesus' resurrection, I'm not minimizing at all, but it was only one of three that the Bible talks about. The second resurrection the Bible talks about is after we've died, the Bible says there's going to be a resurrection of everybody who's died. Everybody who's in a grave today, and everybody will be in a grave when I'm there with them, is going to get resurrection unless the Lord comes before I'm in a grave, but, you know, I don't know about that. But there's a third resurrection. Oh, by the way, I think we're stuck on the second one. And so I'm trying to break, maybe the first two are all that come to mind for us. Because we think of Jesus' resurrection every Easter, and every funeral we hope for our resurrection, right? Billy Sunday, he was an evangelist way back in the early part of the 20th century. And he, told, he was the guy who got famous for calling people to walk the sawdust trail to repent. And then he was famous for saying, and if you walk out of the tent and get hit by a Mack trunk, you'll go right to heaven. And that's nice if every time somebody trusted Jesus, they got hit by a Mack truck. But most of us have to live for a while afterward. So what do we do? You know, when I worked in, as a handyman in Rancho Benicia, some of those people call it Pasolacqua's holding center. But you know what? Some of us, not you, God bless you, some of us live like we're in Jesus' holding center. But we are not, because the Bible says there is a third resurrection. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. And that is our present resurrection of becoming like Christ. And in case you don't believe me, here is the scripture. Are you ready, Leanne? We've got to race through that, because we're almost out of time. Scripture number one. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live today a new life. Let's go on. In case you thought that mortal bodies meant we were mortal and died and then we lived. No, no, no. Okay, if the spirit of him who has raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies here and now because of his spirit who lives in you now. Resurrection today. And if the spirit of him who... Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, we've got another one. This one's from Philippians. I just want you to know it's replete in Scripture. I want you to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, so that somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Next one. Colossians 2. These are the last two. Having been raised with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, since then... You have been raised with Christ. What do you do? Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so, the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, and even our physical resurrection from the dead, when that day comes, gives us the courage and the power to resurrection life now. Jesus' death and resurrection and the abundance that we live with because of that, the hope, it allows us to live recklessly, to take risks like never before. We take risks now because we are so rich with God and we have an eternity in view. Why could I waste a Saturday? Why wasn't I doing something I, I did? Do you think I like to lay in the mud? I don't like to lay in the mud. Why would I do that? Because it was an opportunity, and God called me. I was sure he did. And I met Danny. And I met Danny. We take risks with our life. We can waste them on the things that the people around us say don't matter, aren't important if you're going to get ahead. Because our lives are for Christ now. We have the riches of God and eternity in view, and that changes everything. What's the next slide, Leanne? I don't have my slides in front of you. Oh, yeah, good. So... <laughs> So let me, um, let me just wrap up, because I'm already over time. Wrap up is this. Spiritual discipline, right? Reading the scriptures, being with Jesus, prayer and confession, getting our lives meshed into, the, in, into, into Christ. Those plus boundaries, plus the ongoing confession when we fall, Plus, practicing the new life equals witness. I pay attention and I listen and respond to Jesus. I confess and I put off the old life behaviors. I practice new life behaviors. I confess when I fall short. And like Paul, I can say, I forget what's behind and that moment of confession, I hold on to God's grace and His forgiveness. I forget what's behind, and I press on to reach the goal of becoming like Jesus so that not only my character, but my words and my actions can be a witness for His glory both now and tomorrow till the end of my life. So here you go. I have a verse for you today. 
oh, I need to say this first. Uh, yeah. F.F. Bruce was a Scottish theologian of the 20th century. He said it so well. Doctrine is never taught in the Bible simply that it may be known. It is in taught in order that it may be translated into practice. And if it never gets translated into practice, I don't know how, care how much Bible study you do. You've missed the mark. This is a new life we've been called to, not a new academic. So, Paul in uh, Ephesians 2.10 says this, You are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus to live the resurrection life as from the beginning he meant for you to live it.
been in places where I felt manipulated by somebody up front, so if I'm going to ask you to do something, but you have three options so that you won't feel manipulated. You can just say this to yourself, but I would encourage you to be a little risky and turn to somebody and minister to them in this moment. So you might need to find groups of two, maybe it'll have to be three, there's uneven numbers, but would you find one other person unless you're really shy, and that's okay if you're shy. I won't judge you. But right now, find somebody. And we're going to do the my turn, your turn thing like pastors do at weddings, okay? So you can turn and look at somebody, look them in the eyes. If it's somebody you, you know and you like, that's, if that's easiest. But don't leave anybody out if they want to be included. And if there's group of three, we're going to do this three times for the threesomes here. And if there's four, we could do fours. Or no, if there's two. If there's four, then it'll be two and two, okay? So I want you to take turns now saying these words to each other, okay? So do it my turn, your turn, okay? I'll, do, I'll lead you, and that way we'll all say it together. Otherwise, it would be mayhem. So as you look at the person you are looking at, would you bless them with the benediction today? You are God's work of art. You are God's work of art. Created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus. To live the resurrection life. To live the resurrection life. As from the beginning... As from the beginning. He meant for you to live it. He meant for you to live it. Okay, trade now. Next person, say it. Or did you just say it out the same? You did it in unison? Okay. You, my friends, are that. Do you believe it? Live it.